Wouldn't it be great if there were a pocket-sized guide that could help you sleep, focus, act, or be better? Well, there is. And if you have 10 minutes, Headspace can change your life. I know because it's definitely helped me too. Headspace is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy-to-use app. Headspace is the only meditation app advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. So whatever the situation, Headspace can really help you feel better. If you're overwhelmed, Headspace has three-minute SOS meditations for you. Need some help falling asleep? They can help you with wind-down sessions their members swear by. And for parents, Headspace even has stuff that you could do with your kids too. And their approach to mindfulness can help you reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. Like I said, I use Headspace as well. I used to use it back in the day, then I got off of it for a while to use another tool. But then, honestly, I came back to it, and it's even better. The voicing, the meditation, it definitely, even just with five minutes a day, it really changes everything for me. It's backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews, and over 60 million downloads. Incredible. So you deserve to feel happier, and Headspace is meditation made simple. So go to headspace.com slash SPI. That's headspace.com slash SPI for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal offered right now. Head to headspace.com slash SPI today. For me, it's always, I want a business that supports my life, not a life that supports my business. So like, I don't want to Elon Musk things and work 80 hours a week and sleep on a couch in my office. Like, I want to work... 30-ish hours a week and enjoy the rest of my time. And as long as I make enough money to cover that, put money into savings and all of that, like I feel good. Like I don't need to, like working towards 10 times more than that wouldn't serve me, wouldn't serve my life in any way. I don't think it would serve my customers even. I recently read a really interesting book. It was called Company of One, Why Staying Small is the Next Big Thing for Business. And when I was initially going to read it, I was thinking about the podcast episode that I did a while back. I think it was 337 called The Riches Are in the Niches, right? Staying small is a big advantage. You are uh, just starting out, so you have the ability to have some amazing conversations directly with people. That's how you compete with the big people. You have less competition that you have to worry about when you focus and niche down, and that's kind of what I thought I was gonna get out of this book. But it actually was not about that. Um, It was another reason why staying small is the next big thing for business. And that's what we're gonna talk about today with the author of this book, Paul Jarvis. Actually, I found out through some tweets when I had conducted this interview that uh, Paul's audience and my audience uh, overlap quite a bit. So you may know who Paul is. He is a freelancer designer, but an author and somebody who is changing how we think about business, especially through books like this. This is his first traditionally published book. Happy to support it. But mostly, I just wanted to bring him on to share these concepts with you. I'll talk more about it in just a sec. Let's get to the intro. Welcome to the Smart Passive Income Podcast, where it's all about working hard now so you can sit back and reap the benefits later. And now your host, he has a love-hate relationship with skinny jeans, Pat Flynn. Hey, hey, what's up, Team Flynn? Thank you so much for joining me today in session 365. My name is Pat Flynn, here to help you make more money, save more time, and help more people too. And to help us today, we're learning from Paul Jarvis, author of the book, Company of One. And the really big thing about this and the big realization when I was reading this book was, wow, do I actually need to grow? This is like a weird thing to like wanna not actually have to grow. And 
you know, we talk about where this need for growth comes from, but what could happen when you actually don't make growth your top priority? It might sound very strange to you. It's very non-traditional, but this is what makes this so special. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Paul Jarvis from Company of One. Mr. Paul Jarvis, thank you so much for coming on the SPI podcast today. I appreciate it so much. Yeah, thanks for having me on. You have this great book that just came out, Company of One, Why Staying Small is the Next Big Thing for Business. And we're gonna talk about that in just a moment. We're gonna unpack a lot of the ideas there. And actually, when I, when I read this book, I actually listened to it, uh, which you were able to narrate, and it was great, thank you. Um, a lot of big realizations for myself as well, and we'll, we'll get into that. But let's go back into who you are, Paul, and how you got to where you are as an entrepreneur, freelancer, and all that good stuff. Yeah, that sounds good. So where did, where did this all start? Were you always sort of a, a business person when you were a young kid, or where, where did this idea sort of uh, of being a business owner and working for yourself come from? Yeah, so I've, I've worked for myself for 20 years now, but 21 years ago, I didn't think I was going to work for myself. There was no plans or dreams or aspirations to do that. Um, in high school, I did all I did fairly well. So all the well-intentioned adults in my life were like, "Hey, you should go to university. That mm-hmm. seems what you should. That seems like something good." So I went to university. I dropped out after a year. I was in school for computer science, but I was spending all of my time building these new things called websites because this was the like mid um, to late '90s. So. I, it was just interesting. It was just an interesting time to <laughs> have a computer yeah. and know a little bit about code. And so I dropped out of university and I went to work for an agency who was like, hey, we can, we have all of these clients. There's this new thing called websites. We can make money selling these print clients um, digital things. So they're like, hey, you know how to make websites. And so I got a job doing that. And it was good, but I didn't. I, so I liked the work. I liked the clients but I didn't like the company. So I was like, oh, I'm just going to quit and go find another agency job. Mm-hmm. But then the day that I quit, I was like, I got to go to the library. This is when the internet didn't have very, <laughs> when the internet didn't have a whole We're lot of websites. kind of dating you here, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> but I was going to go find out how to write a resume uh, from the library. But then I started to get calls from clients saying like, hey, Paul, we liked working with you more than the agency. Let us know where you're going to go work next and we'll just bring our business there. Wow. And I got a bunch of these calls and I was a light bulb went off and I was like, hmm, what if I just work with these clients directly for myself? So I went to the library, but instead of looking at how to write a resume, I figured out how to start. I was living in Toronto, um, Ontario at the time. So I figured out how to start a business um, in Canada, basically. And it, yeah, I, the day before, I had no plans on starting a business. But then that day, I was like, ah, this, this is what I'm going to do. Let's see if this works. That's really cool. I, lo- I love hearing people's origin stories. And then so from there, um, you were just kind of freelancing on your own, helping these individual clients. Um, when did you really start to go full throttle with that and, and begin to grow a little bit? Yeah, it was basically on day one after I started the business, I had I was lucky enough to have a client roster from the, 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 the clients who kind of came with me. And, but I, I knew not, dude, I knew so little about business. Like I knew how to do design. I knew how to manage a project, but I did not know how to do anything business related. I, in school, I had just done like programming and logic and math classes. Like I had taken zero business courses. So it was a struggle. Like it was really, really hard in the beginning to kind of 
figure out how. I was like, oh, I have so I have to do all of the work for the clients, but I also have to do all of the work to run the business as well. Like it was, it was a very harsh and um, sudden realization for me. But and it took it actually took quite a while to to figure all of that stuff out. Mm-hmm. And did you ever grow beyond yourself and start hiring people to serve other clients? No. So the funny thing is, I got pretty busy very quickly. Like I started, like I said, I started with a full roster. So. And that kind of continued and I kept making sure that I knew I didn't know how to be the best designer, the best programmer or the best at those things. I knew that I could do those things and I knew that I could do well at those things. But instead, I always tried to be like the best person that that client hired. So in doing that, I always had clients that would never go away in the best (laughs) in the best possible way. So I was busy and I was, I guess, successful. And people were always like, hey, Paul, why don't you like why don't you hire like, why don't you hire like another couple designers, programmer, project manager? Like there was a certain points in my career at that time when I was booked six months in advance, like it got to almost ridiculous levels. But I always, and people are always like, you need to hire, like, what are you doing? Like hire people, you can grow an agency. Like this is, this is what you do. This is how business works. And Mm -hmm. I was always, I pushed back against it because I was like, but I like doing the work. And I always kept coming back to that. I, one, I didn't like managing other people. And two, I really liked the work and I didn't want to promote myself out of a job that I liked doing into a job I didn't like doing. Like I didn't want to be a manager. So I just never did it. I just ended up, I just kept charging more and more money as my, as my calendar filled like four to six months in advance. I was like, okay, I can probably, like, I'm, I'm in demand. I can just charge a little bit more. And then just charge a little bit more. And it wasn't like overnight ridiculous amounts. But over time, it was like, if I'm not going to grow the business and I want to improve my income a little bit, I'm just going to keep charging a bit more money, a bit more money, a bit more money, see if the demand ever tapers off. And luckily it didn't. And and just kind of go from there. So I grew it in revenue, not in, in people. How are you able to think that way? I think it's human nature or entrepreneur human nature to always want to continue to grow. And I imagine that it would have been very simple for you at that time to begin to hire people and to expand, especially with the clients who were demanding. I mean, a part of me is like, oh my gosh, all this all this work is coming in. I have to help support it versus you who are like, no, I just, I don't have the time yet. You'll have to wait six months. And I think that's very bold and unusual. Is that just who you are? Or is was there a very clear like, I like my lifestyle and I don't want to change it and mess it up. Yeah, I mean, I do I do think that I'm kind of a weirdo. <laughs> Just <laughs> going to be honest, I definitely think I'm wired slightly different than most people. But I also think that like it always came back to like free. So two things, freedom and how I wanted to spend my day. And I think they're both actually related. Mm-hmm. So the freedom side, like I never wanted to be put in a position where it would hinder my freedom. And really what I mean by that is just the ability to make choices. So I didn't want to have overhead to a point where I would have to be like, okay, I have to work with this client. Like I have to take on this big project. Maybe I don't agree with their ethics. Maybe I just feel like they're not good at communicating with me. Mm -hmm. I never wanted to be in a position where I had so many expenses, so much overhead, where I had to be just yes to everything, blanket yes. I didn't want to be in that position because I like the ability to choose. Like I I work for myself so I can choose what I want to do, who I want to work with, how I want to work. And then the other side of it is I do like to have control over how I spend my day. And I think that a lot of opportunities when things are going well in business 
they have like I guess an obligation debt or a back end maintenance cost. Like if you say yes to something, then it's going to affect things in the future. And I always like the ability to choose like do I want to spend my day working today maybe I do maybe I just want to go for a bike ride I live in the Pacific Northwest if it's sunny outside <laughs> I would rather go outside than, than work because that doesn't happen very often especially this time of year so I was always kind of keeping in mind like would would a business choice negatively or positively affect how I like to spend my day because like I still 20 years we're talking about 20 years ago now 20 years later I still I still actually like sitting at my computer writing and designing things. And so if that changed, I would make different choices for sure. But I still like doing those things. So I would never want to make decisions that took me away from the things I really like because it's my business. I feel like I should, I feel like I should be able to make choices, uh, choices in it and, and do what's best for me, not necessarily what's best for the type of people who are on like the cover of Forbes or Inc. magazine. Mm-hmm. For the rest of us who have this growth mentality and we hear it all the time, we read about it all the time, where do you think that mentality comes from? Is it a result of us being, you know, cavemen who when we found a resource, we kind of try to maximize our ability to tap into that resource and, you know, with so much opportunity now, is it just us always saying yes because we're, you know, inherently worried about it running out or in your examination of this, like, where does that, where does that yes mentality, the growth mentality come from really? Yeah, I think part of it is that evolutionary thing where resources were scarce. So if we found a resource, we would try to just get all of it and just hoard all. I found (laughs) the berries, they're all mine now. (laughs) But (laughs) I also think that it, I think that a lot of it comes down to ego as well, where I think, Mm. Ego can be a great thing. And I think ego is definitely necessary because we need, and in the beginning and at the start, like we need to feel that we can do better than everyone else in the market that we're trying to serve. So we start our own business and that's great. I think that uh, more people should feel that what they have, what they want to offer is worth it to the market because I think it, it probably is. But where I think ego doesn't serve us is when we start to let our ego be dictated by others, right? So like when we see, oh, well, so-and-so was written about in this big entrepreneurial magazine, or even, I was at the dentist the other day, and there was a magazine, it was like BC, I live in British Columbia now, there's a magazine for BC business, and the word growth and grow appeared three times just on the cover, like I didn't even open the magazine. <laughs> so I think there's this pressure in society, in like business society in the entrepreneurial space where it's like, well, if you're not growing, things aren't things aren't working out and i think that we feel like oh well i'll look better or my business will seem more legitimate mm-hmm. if it's just bigger if it's just bigger and i think at some point we stop running our business for ourselves which is probably why we started why a lot of us started and we start running it for how it looks to other people and i think that's where we can get into problems it's not that growth is bad it's just that growth makes sense until it doesn't right And, you know, what I love about your book, Company of One, which we'll dive into more specifically on some of the topics there now, you know, it's it's to me, it brings me back to the same feelings I had when I read Tim Ferriss's Four Hour Workweek, right? But a little bit differently, because Four Hour Workweek was like, let's hire people, let's have other systems and and automation in place. And you do discuss automation um, so that the business will continue to run and continue to grow. However, this is more of a, 
okay, lifestyle, yes, which is very much what Tim talked about, but being okay with not having to grow so much. It's it's almost like a like what what it really taught me aligns with what I often say now, which is like where people are making decisions because they have a fear of missing out. Mm-hmm. So I usually go, no, 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 like flip that around. Like JOMO, not FOMO, JOMO, the joy of missing out. The fact yeah. that you are like putting a foot in the ground and saying, you know what, like it's okay that I don't have to go down and read that article because sure, it might help, but you know what, I got all, all these other things to focus on. And what Company of One did, did for me was realize that, you know, hey, there can be joy in mastering your craft and not worrying about growing so much. So on my team, Paul, just so you know, I, I hired a team and we are great and I, and I love them and I'm happy about that. And my integrator, Matt, and I, we discussed last year, like, hey, what if like we didn't try to grow the revenue as much, but more just get better at the systems we have? And luckily, being in the online world, sometimes just getting better at what you do will like as a byproduct lead to growth. So that's really our focus this year. We don't have like a $10 million goal, which would have been like a like a 2x goal, um, we just want to make the same amount that we made last year, but do it better. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where, like, there's so much that can be said for that, for doing things like figuring out better ways to automate or even better ways to spend less money or to improve the amount of revenue generated per person on the team. Like, the book is an anti-growth for people who who haven't read it, and I'm not even advocating, just like, um, Tim Ferriss's four-hour work week. It's not saying you work four hours and then you're done. Company of one isn't like, oh, you grow to one and then you're done. It's like my team is more than just myself as well. It's more like what you're saying, exactly what you're saying. Is it this mindset where we can question, like, is bigger better? Sometimes, yes, it is. And sometimes it makes sense to optimize for where you're at. Even our, our mutual friend, Nathan Barry, his team isn't as big as some other people in the um, the ESP space, but I think I was reading an article on his site yesterday, and I think the the revenue per employee is like three hundred and eighty thousand dollars, which is so much more than a lot of other SaaS companies. But he's found a way to make it work at a, at a place where where he's at, where if you just in, keep increasing the the revenue, then your team can grow, but it doesn't have to grow or outpace that by any means. It's very much the opposite of like a Grant Cardone 10x growth book, which is like, all right, guys, let's not just worry about doubling revenue. Like, let's 10x your revenue because that means you're going to have to do different things and much bigger and bolder. And we could see that from Grant and sort of his his personality and such. And and that's a great book, too. But I mean, man, like this is a this was a big realization. I think a lot of people in the audience would appreciate reading this book and to realize that you don't have to always think about growth. Um, although growth can be important. My, my big question for you, and I'm, I was very curious, like leading into this conversation, what your thoughts would be on this. For me, growth is somewhat important because I want to help more people, right? That's That's been my big motivator, help more people. And in order for me to help more people, I feel like I have to have some growth in the business and I have to have more subscribers and I have to have these things in order to help more, more, more arms out there to, to help people. Um, how how would you respond to me saying that like well growth is important because you have this duty of service to help more people with the talents that you have mhm and i think that that's a valid i think sometimes goals or or big ideas can be valid like that mm-hmm. where you're but you're also not setting an artificial limit of like 
it has to be 10 times more subscribers because where does that number come from? Like if that number isn't coming from a biz, like an actual business need and you're just picking a number out of the sky, like it needs to be 10 times bigger, then that's an artificial target. But the problem with artificial targets is they become real as soon as we start working towards them. Like the second before it's just, oh, 10 X sounds great. Right. But then as soon as you start working towards it, it's no longer artificial. Mm -hmm. And it's really difficult sometimes to sustain the amount of work required for these numbers we just kind of pull out of the air. Yeah. And I think that there's definitely a magic zone for sustainability for and even for growth. Like my own business, like my mailing list grows, my revenue grows. But I'm not focused on that as just the only metric in my business to measure success. Like for me, I focus on re, I focus on connecting with the audience I already have. And if I do that really, really well, then they go out and tell other people and then my audience grows and then my revenue grows. But my focus isn't that. So that's the byproduct of the work that I'm doing and even the work that you're doing, I think. And I think if we set these artificial targets for the sake of artificial targets, that can get stressful. Like I was listening to an interview the other day with this person who had, I think their business was about 24 million in revenue and they set a goal of hitting 120 million in revenue and they hit 60 and they were like wah wah like that didn't work out but when you think about it like they did 60 million dollars in revenue and they feel like a failure because they didn't hit that artificial goal that was artificial until the second they hit it yeah that's crazy (laughs) (laughs) although they 3x'd their income yes you know from there um there's like a lawnmower i don't know if you guys listening can hear there's like a lawnmower right outside my window but I cannot hear it. You cannot hear it. Okay. Well, you can imagine what it might sound like. But I'm going to keep going because this is real life and and I love that. Um, So company of one, you're not necessarily saying that you need to reduce the amount of employees in your business to one and have it just be you. What what are the principles behind just this idea of company of one that you discuss? Yeah. So a, a lot of it is thinking about how you can make things work where they're at, especially in the beginning, especially if things are small. So figuring out how you can get to being profitable as quickly as possible, as opposed to thinking that you'll be profitable at scale and then putting a a tremendous amount of risk into things in the hopes that, well, if we hit like 100,000 customers or uh, 200,000 subscriptions, then we'll start to see profit. It's very difficult and actually very risky. And the, the premise of the book is pretty much that business success doesn't have to mean, like the byproduct doesn't have to be growth. It can be the freedom to choose whether or not you grow because you need growth, especially in the beginning. You got to go from zero to something, but then at some point it's like diminishing returns sort of thing, right? Where it's not like, like for me, it's always, I want a business that, I want a business that supports my life, not a life that supports my business. So like I don't want to Elon Musk things and work 80 hours a week and sleep on a couch in my office. Yeah. Like I want to work 30-ish hours a week and enjoy the rest of my time. And as long as I make enough money to cover that, put money into savings and all of that, like I feel good. Like I don't need to, like working towards 10 times more than that wouldn't serve me, wouldn't serve my life in any way. I don't think it would serve my customers even. Mm-hmm. And one thing that you mentioned in addition to like having it really be focused on the craft that you do and the work that you do. You know, I love the chapter on uh, one customer. And I think this is a message that we always have to re-listen to, especially for those of you listening and and you know you need to get started, but you're so 
worried about the journey and how many things you have to do, but I love how you kind of narrow that down to one customer. How might you, with whatever kind of business a person might be thinking about creating or even has and is yet to, to have their first customers, how would you recommend they go about finding that customer? Yeah, I mean, a business is, is networking. I mean, at any level, like when I when I used to do work for like the biggest businesses in the world, like Mercedes-Benz or Microsoft, that wasn't just me being like, hey, I'm a web designer, like standing outside their head office, like need some web design? Hello? It was me knowing people that work there or knowing people that knew other people that work there. And I think using our, our networks, I think it is so important. And I mean, I'm really introverted. I'm really awkward, but I still spend a whole lot of time making sure that I'm connecting with interesting people, making sure that I'm like keeping connections going. And that's not just like, that's not just liking um, people's posts on social media. That's like reaching out, having a, having a bit of a phone call, maybe talking in real time, that sort of thing. And using networks is just such a, it just seems like such a humane way to do business. One of my favorite stories from the book is my buddy, um, Alexander Franzen, who's a really, really good copywriter. She was in radio broadcasting and she wanted to do freelance writing. So she didn't quit her job and buy like a really expensive computer and an office and all of that. Like she quit her job and then emailed 60 people, it was some, it was probably 60, it was around 60 people and just said like, hey, I'm doing copywriting now. These are the type of projects I'm looking for. Do you or does anybody you know need this kind of work? And so her first step was just looking for a customer. And then she found one and then she did a really good job and then they referred her to a handful of other people and then they referred, each of them referred her to a handful of other people and then she built a business from there where it was really like, word of mouth is still so huge. I was talking to somebody the other day and they were like, well, does word of mouth still even exist on the internet? I'm like, yes, 100% it does. It's so amplified mm -hmm. now where reputation and networking and and word of mouth just makes such a big difference for doesn't matter if you're working in enterprise sales if you're doing like b2c like it's so important how would you recommend a person who is also introverted like us to get started with utilizing those relationships or building those relationships um any any quick tips on that yeah i mean lean on some strengths at first like group networking is like I would, I still sweat thinking about networking <laughs> at an event or at a conference, but reaching out to some, like DMing somebody on Twitter and just saying like, hey, you do awesome work. I think I do too. I have no agenda. I just want to talk to somebody else who's doing cool things on the internet. Like let's, let's talk. The the partner for one of the courses that I teach, Kaylee Moore, she reached out initially and was just like, hey, I do writing, you do design. Like we should talk on Skype sometime. We should have like a virtual coffee date or something. And I was like, sure. We ended up getting talking and now we work together and she's a partner in one of the products that I have. So just little things like that. It, it doesn't have to be you standing in front of a thousand people or even being at an event with with a hundred people. It can just be you reaching out one on one to, to one other person and talking to them like mm -hmm. a human. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know, my tip is just, well, what's the worst that can happen? A yeah. person might just go, no, thanks. Or no, not right now. And it's not usually as bad as as we might think. For sure. When it comes to uh, like the systems that you use in your business, I'm curious to know how else have you become efficient? And you know, one way to do that is to say no to things, which which uh, is is a great thing. And understanding what your priorities are, so that you know what to say yes and no to, is a big important sort of theme uh, in this book. But in terms of like 
your business and the other things internally that can be made more efficient, where might we be able to begin to look to see how to, if we're not focused on growth, like what do we focus on and how do we more efficiently do that? Yeah, so for me, because I know that I don't want to have a a big team, I know that I'm always looking for things that scale without growth, right? So things like my mailing list. It takes me just as long to write an article and send it just to you as it does to write an article and send it to a mailing list of 30,000 people. Mm -hmm. So things like that are great. Or things like when I'm working on my software products, if I can on if I can work really really hard on onboarding like getting somebody from when they buy to being able to use the software product without having to personally help every single one of them if I can answer common questions in videos or knowledge base articles or that sort of thing then I can increase the the number uh, of people that I reach without having to like oh well I reached another 100 people I got to hire another person how oh, I reached another mm-hmm. like things like that where I can scale my business without necessarily having to grow my business even podcasting podcasting is great for that it takes me just as long to record a show that reaches 10 people as it does to record a show that reaches 10,000 so things like that I, I I find have been really really beneficial for my business writing a book <laughs> that as well <laughs> <laughs> now are you both a designer and a developer yourself I don't do a whole lot of development anymore. I do more design and writing. So for even for the projects that I work on now, I have partners that do the the heavy lifting of the programming because I don't I just don't have time for that. Okay, great. Because I know a lot of people thinking uh, or hearing this conversation might go, well, Paul just sounds like this multi talented dude who could do all <laughs> the things. And you know, you are wearing the hats and you're doing it right. But thank you for sharing that. I'm curious to know as you work with your partners or contractors for certain projects that you just don't want to do or don't have the skill to do, what are your thoughts on maximizing that efficiency in communication and getting work done? Do you have any systems in place or tools that you use to help help run that? Yeah, I mean, I like my biggest expense every year is freelancers, which I'm totally stoked on because I was a freelancer for so long. I love that my biggest expense is 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 other people's that time cool. basically and skills. So I always look for, like I said in the beginning, I don't like managing people, but I have to work with a team of four or five people typically. So the the way that I look for people is I want to find the best person at the job that they do who requires the least amount of management. So I'm willing to pay a premium price for that person because I know on the back end, I'm not going to have to spend as much time or as much money training or anything like that. My copy editor, who I work because I do, I write probably an article a day, if not more sometimes, we communicate in emojis. I've never had an actual real-time <laughs> conversation with Matt. We He sends me like the thumbs up emoji when he receives a document and then the pencil emoji when he's finished editing it. He knows my voice. He knows my style. He knows how to make, I'm a horrible technical writer. Which a lot of people who aren't writers are like, really? How do you, how are you a writer? It's like that's not my that's not the skill set of a writer. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to worry about that because which is good because I'm not very good at it. So I'm always looking for ways to find the, the the very best people where we only really have to communicate when something's done, or if there's an issue, then we just need to talk about it to figure out what's wrong, how to fix it, and how it cannot happen again. So even just like I use Google Docs a lot. Just because one, it's free, and two, I can turn on the suggest mode, and he can turn on the suggest mode, so we can see each other's changes, and we can track changes that way. 
So it just becomes really, really easy. And I like systems, especially where I don't have to do any work. So if I have a shared folder with him, he gets a notification when I add something new to the folder. It saves me an email. Same with my podcast editor. I have a folder on Dropbox. He gets the notification that there's a new MP3 file in Dropbox. Mm-hmm. So he can just get straight to work. Right. So things like that, where there's just where things automatically happen when we've set it a process in the beginning. So I used to think all oh, processes kill creativity. Processes open you up to just focus on the creative stuff. If you get a, if you get something down in terms like step by step by step, you don't have to worry about the admin of it anymore. It's so good. You just have to do the creative work, which is the stuff that I like doing. Wow, that's a, that's a really big uh, realization there, I think, for a lot of people and, and myself often is that, you know, these processes and these systems, which A, are seemingly boring and B, take a while to create and C, just it's just repetitive. They give you that time back so that, like you said, you can be creative. Or for me, it's like, I just want to record podcasts and and write and everything else should be taken care of from a person receiving that article from Google Docs. We use the same thing to then editing it and then putting it on to WordPress to even hitting publish on a date that we know ahead of time. That way it's like I'm just doing the stuff that I love. So mm-hmm. I it love also that. saves me some it also saves me stress. Because <laughs> I feel because I'm super introverted and that as well, where if I had to go into my newsletter software and like hit send on an article that I know is going to tens of thousands of people, I might chicken out. Like, honestly, <laughs> I might chicken out. But if it's like, oh, I, I did, I, like, I set the schedule for like three weeks from now or I set the blog post in WordPress to publish three weeks from now, I'm like, oh, that's in the field. Like, oh, I don't even need to worry about that. Is that Matt that, who's pushing that out for you? <laughs> no, I, I put the stuff into those systems. I guess I could get him to do it now that I'm I think sorry, about Matt. it. I'm sorry, Matt. <laughs> Sorry, Matt, you're going to have more work after this call. (laughs) For the business owner who's listening to this, who was like, oh, wow, Um, I kind of grew out of control. I am stressed. I do not have a company of one. We have a company of of many with many systems, and I probably should prune and, and, and filter things down to just, you know, what I need to do. I'm not fulfilled. How would you recommend that kind of person who may be listening to this to begin to start to make that happen and become a, a company of one uh, in a sense. For sure. And I think a, a business of any size can, can operate like a company of one. So I, w- I wouldn't stress anymore, especially if you are stressed. I think that I think everything in business is iterative as well, where you don't know if something's going to work or not until you've taken a tiny step towards it. So I think even in looking at like systems and processes, if, if things are, are, are wholly complicated or very difficult to manage, then just thinking about like what can we do at the front end to put a bunch of work into it so on an ongoing basis, it doesn't require as much work as possible. And I think a lot of people in the product space kind of understand this where you do the work in the front to have it work for you afterwards. Like I'd rather do the work once right and then have it kind of work automatically after that. So I think a business of any size can kind of look at these things, like what what are some things that are repetitive? Like maybe there's a way that technology can do those. Maybe it's like I make a Zap and Zapier to connect one thing to another thing, and that saves 30 minutes of somebody's time every day. Or maybe we figure out what the specifics are for a a process that we have that's like a 30-page document, and maybe we just make it four steps. 
And then somebody doesn't have to refer to that document and look at the things. They can just think like, okay, these are the four steps I need to take. This is the thing I need to do. So I think just simplifying as much as possible. And simplifying doesn't mean easy. Simple and easy are different words, just like more and better are different words. But I think if we do the work to make things simple, then they can become easy after, after we made them simple. I love that. And I think your story is very inspiring because you were a freelancer and you've built this business in this way and you've been able to live life like you've wanted uh, to and, and grow a business. You share some really amazing stories in the book about like the island that you're on now and, uh, you know, in, in British Columbia that what your day is like a little bit. Hope it gets warmer there for you. <laughs> um, or you can come to San Diego and we can hang out a bit because looking outside, it's pretty nice right now. So, um, I'm curious just about the book itself and like the origin of the book um, because I think a lot of us who have businesses, whether we are a freelancer or a sort of course creator or a coach of some kind, like we all have books in, in, in us. Mm -hmm. um, what gave you the idea to write this book and, and how did you get started with that? I will likely have some follow-up questions. Sure. So the first part is that I thought that the way that we've been talking about business, like I thought it was just me. I thought I was the only one who was like, mm, growth isn't the best thing for my business in these ways. So I'm going to avoid it. Mm. And I thought that I was the, the business weirdo that felt that way. But then because I'm a writer, because I've, write, I've written a weekly newsletter every Sunday for six years, never missed a Sunday, I was like, okay, one of these articles needs to be about this. And I know people may not understand it, but I just want to share kind of my thought process for why my business works the way that it does. And I wrote an article, I think it was called something, and this is like three years ago, it was called something like, I don't care about growth, or why I don't care about growth. And mm -hmm. I shared it with my list. And I usually get uh, 150, 250 replies to my newsletter. And for that one, I think I got 1,300. Whoa. <laughs> like, it was a lot, like it was a lot more, like by order of magnitude, a ton. And I just kept hearing from people that said, well, I thought I was the only one who didn't want to grow this massive business or enterprise or corporation. Like I thought I was the one, the only one who wanted to put my life and lifestyle ahead of my business goals once the business is profitable. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> there's a lot of people who, who feel this way. And I was, I was like, okay, I, I'll go find a book. I'll read about like reading books. I'll go find a book that talks about this. And I'll just refer people to it because that seems like a good idea. And I couldn't find one that, that was specifically along the lines of that. So I was like, oh, no, I've got to write one. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> oh no! And this is the, I, this is my fifth book as well. So I know a lot goes into writing a book, but I was like, okay, well, this like this is something that needs to be shared, not because not because this is the way I think about business, but because I don't want people to be put off. And this is the reason I wrote the book. I don't want people to be prematurely put off of entrepreneurialism because they think it works a certain way. Like they think that owning a business then you have to go down this one track and that's growth. Mm -hmm. Or being a business owner, you have to be this one type of person. Because I'm not that. You're not that either. Like there's different ways to do business and there's different ways to make business work for you. And I'm like, if I can just show some people that I think would make awesome entrepreneurs that they can do things in a different way, then I don't even know if my way is right. Like it's right for some people, I'm sure it's not right for everybody. But if I can just show some people like, hey, maybe maybe think about entrepreneurialism and you can do it in this way that could work for you. Then I think that's like that was the driving factor and that was the driving force for for making this thing uh, 
turn into a book. That's really cool. This is a traditionally published book? Yes. Uh, have you done it? My tradition- first one. Your first one. Oh, yes. Perfect. Now I have other follow-up questions really quick. <laughs> um, how has this process working with a traditional publisher been versus self-published before? Yeah. So I I did all right with self-publishing. Like I, I sold probably close to 100,000 copies of my self-published book. So like I don't understand self-publishing. I don't know if anybody can, but I did like it worked and I know how to make it work. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't really like, oh, I need to traditionally publish this because I need it to reach an audience. I think that if you have a book inside you, that that shouldn't be an obstacle. Like that's an invalid obstacle, thinking that you need to get acceptance from a gatekeeper, like an agent or a publisher. You can just publish it. It's easy, Create Space or KDP, those sorts of things. Right. But I think the it was kind of the same, but kind of different. So it was the same in that I still had a lot of work to do. It was still years of of work. And you you've written a lot, you've written a bunch of books. You know this too. Mm-hmm. Like it's a lot of work. But I also liked that I could spread the work out a little bit and I could get like the top tier. Like the the guy who edited my book, Rick Wolf, is the editor for Cal Newport. And Cal Newport's one of probably my favorite. I'm I love making Cal. it sound I'm making it sound like I'm not a huge fanboy. I'm a huge fanboy. <laughs> he's my favorite. He's my favorite. We've author. had him on the show. He's great. Yeah. So he like I got to work with Cal's editor. And he's a brilliant man. Like he made the book still sound like me, which was really, really important to me, but also just so much more clear and concise in my own like way of expressing myself, which I thought was great. Mm-hmm. Um, it was so it was good in that way. I mean, even good in so much as the publisher that I work with is able to send out copies of books to hundreds of people, like hundreds of people yeah. like you who I got one. Yeah. And I didn't have to go to the post office and send out copies. Yeah, we had to do that for book. Will It Fly, that's for sure. <laughs> it's and that's a lot of like that's a lot of work. And even some like they got the book um reviewed by a bunch of book reviewers who I had never heard of, but that really helps with um stocking in bookstores. That's the other thing is distribution. People have been taking pictures of my book around the world in bookstores. I just think that's that's probably my favorite part about this. And that distribution has been really helpful, but it has, it's definitely like, it's giving up control. Like, remember, I'm a designer. I didn't get to design the North American or the, the world covers for my book. Oh, and interesting. yeah, I didn't get to, I, and they asked me like what you, what I thought of it. And I was like, well, I would change this, 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 and this. But then I was like, they're experts. Like I, the book cover doesn't need to speak to me. I'm not. I, I'm not buying hundreds of thousands of copies of it. Mm-hmm. Like if it, I want it to reach the people who could benefit from the book. So I was just like, whatever cover you think is will achieve that, then that's good for me. And that was hard. Like that was very difficult. Yeah, <laughs> that oh, was I really bet. difficult Especially for me as a designer. To, yeah. That's that's cool. And thank you for that because I am self-publishing my next book this summer. And um, there's been talks about potentially going down the traditional route at some point, even with this book. And it's just I, I love talking to people about that because it's it is it is a different thing. And I'm I'm so uh, stoked that you had many enjoyable moments and you have this, this distribution. And before we got on the call, you said you're like on a on a book tour now. Is that something that like they set up or like how does that even work? Oh, just calls. And it's funny they in oh, the no, contract. 
in the contract they had that I would do a two week book tour, like going to physical locations, like bookstores, I guess. And I said, no, and I said, I'm a company of one. (laughs) I said, I'm not signing the contract until that comes out. And my agent was like, Paul, (laughs) what are you doing? (laughs) And I'm like, I like, I don't. So what I I used to travel in my twenties, I traveled for business at least once or twice a week, just not interested in traveling for business anymore. Like I just want to travel with my wife, have fun and, and like pleasure travel. Yeah. So I, I, but also like I, my audience is so spread out. Like I can't show up in a city and have as many people at an event at a physical location as I can, if I do like just like an online thing where it's just a live video where I can get people. And it doesn't matter if they live in the middle of the woods on an Island, like I do, if they live in New York or LA, it's the same people can attend. So I was, and we talked about boundaries briefly. That was a boundary for me. And I was like, this needs to come out of the contract. And she was like, really? And I was like, yes. And they were okay with it. Cause they're like, oh, that was boilerplate. And they, they took it out. And like leading up to that, her and I were both kind of nervous. Like, is this going to kibosh the whole thing? Mm-hmm. And they were like, oh, whatever. That was boilerplate. We took it out. No way. And so That's it wasn't, cool. a, it was no big deal at all. That's cool. Well, thank you for those insights and the inside knowledge of traditional publishing there with your publisher. <laughs> they sound really cool. Um, yeah, man. Just uh, where should people go to grab the book and, and, and learn more from you? Yeah. So the book is called Company of One, Why Staying Small is the Next Big Thing for Business. It's on Amazon. I've got a website for the book of one.co, but it, it's pretty much everywhere that you find books. And then my website is pjrvs.com. And that's where I publish the weekly newsletter that we spoke about. Nice. And I love it. And you have a big uh, button there to go subscribe to that newsletter every Sunday for the last six years, pjrvs.com. We'll send some people your way, man. Uh, Paul, thank you so much for coming on and sharing uh, everything about Company of One. And I look forward to hearing uh, more reviews from the listeners. And again, I appreciate it, man. Yeah, thanks, Pat. All right. So what'd you think? Thank you so much for listening in. And I'd love to hear your comments about this concept of, well, guess what? We don't actually have to grow. What if we had our craft be the priority and growth come as a byproduct of that versus reaching toward these numbers that we sometimes just are like throwing darts at a dartboard to to figure out. So if you wanna check out the show notes and the links mentioned and even comment, all you have to do is go to smartpassiveincome.com slash session 365. smartpassiveincome.com slash session 365. And uh, when you get to his website, pjrvs.com, You'll be able to join his newsletter. I'm even looking at a quote here or a blurb from uh, his friend and my friend too, Cal Newport, best-selling author of Deep Work. His quote here says, Paul Jarvis makes a compelling case for making your business better instead of bigger. So there could be some people who say, wow, well, you know, in order for me to grow and and get my business better, I have to grow bigger. Uh, But there's an argument against that, obviously, which is what we talked about today. So again, I'd love to know what you thought smartpassiveincome.com slash session 365. And again, I appreciate you so much. Thank you so much for listening all the way through. You are amazing, Team Flynn. I'm just so thankful for you and all the amazing reviews that are coming in through iTunes and other platforms as well. Uh, Just, you're amazing. Keep up the great work. And thank you, Paul, for coming on the show and good luck to you and the launch of the book. All right, smartpassiveincome.com slash session 365. That's where you go. And make sure you hit subscribe if you haven't already because we got a lot of great content coming your way soon. Hit subscribe. Thank you so much, Team Flynn. You're amazing. Team Flynn for the win. Thanks for listening to the Smart Passive Income Podcast at www.smartpassiveincome.com.
So podcasting is obviously a big deal here at SPI. And today, I'm so excited to tell you about our newest podcast. Yes, a brand new podcast called Flops. Flops is all about exploring, celebrating, and normalizing failure in the entrepreneurial journey. Every entrepreneur experiences failure at some point. So I love that we're just facing it head on here. And the show is hosted by two members of the team, Karen and Ray. And in it, they talk to entrepreneurs who have had stumbles, setbacks, and flat-out failures. These guests are honest and generous with their stories, and I think they offer hope and encouragement for all other entrepreneurs out there because we all experience it, right? We all experience failure. For example, in the first episode, Ray talks to John, who got caught up in a Ponzi scheme. It's a story with twists and turns that will keep you hooked. It's a great story. I highly recommend you check it out. But one thing I love about Flops is that it doesn't dwell on the failure, and it always finds a bright side. I really love it, and I think you will too. So the first season of Flops has already started with new episodes dropping on Wednesdays. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also listen at smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. Again, that's smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. I hope you enjoy it. 